0: Welcome to the inside. After a year of discouraging news, an unmistakable tone of optimism is taking hold in Hollywood this week. Baseball fans with vaccination cards were welcomed at Dodger Stadium, Disneyland reopened, and in New York City, producers on Broadway announced that theaters would be allowed to resume performances in September. While overseas, COVID challenges still persist, in North America, more than 60% of movie theaters were open, with a growing number of seats available every week. I'm Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is the co-host for our series, Wim Buyens. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Wim, uh, some good news this week, 60% of theaters are open but revenues at theaters are still down more than 80% of where they were for the same week in 2019 before the pandemic. But the news out of India has been so sad uh, this week. Uh, what do you make of what's happening in the world of theater and, and uh, cinema?
1: Yeah, let us maybe start with with India. You know, I think we're we feeling incredibly with them, and and I think we do whatever we can. I want to make sure we support them because I think it, it's a tough, tough place there. But also in the, uh, the cinema industry, of course, uh, but, but we're really feeling uh, sympathizing with them. In January, I think that, that U.S. being opening up is a big thing for us, right, uh, worldwide, because it means that it's, it, it opens up to the content slate, which will be able to be released. So that, that's very good news. I think we see some good uh, light in the tunnel, I would say, on the European front. So people talking about opening up in May periods, right? So I think also we see that COVID levels getting more under control uh, for people to be more confident to open up more, and and also with that the cinemas. So I think we feel positive. We think in Q2, a lot of the cinemas will open. We have seen in APAC in in different parts of APAC that uh, a lot of cinemas are open. China, most of them are open, and the box office does very well there. But so overall we are we are positive, and of course you know we have to give it time,
0: right? So that is the cinema, motion picture side. What's your make of where uh, the streaming business is right now? I think streaming business is definitely
1: rocking at the moment and and will continue growing, right? I think the, the good thing is for me is the creating of digital content. But I think streaming is helping people to consume more digital content. And that, I think, is, is a good thing. Uh, and it go hand in hand. And I think one will support the other one. Because some content, at least what I can see, is doing very well on streaming. And other content, you know, is more on the big screen, and I think we're going to talk about it in a minute. I think, but but it is, uh, I think, it's a good thing, uh, the fact that that people enjoying digital content and the storytelling from the
0: directors. It's a perfect intro for our guest today. His career began in television as a young actor. He had roles in Just the Ten of Us, Facts of Life, Webster, Night Court, and others. After college at Yale, he and a group of friends pursued their love of theater and formed their own theater company. He then moved to directing for television where his credits include The Good Wife, Six Feet Under, Succession, Fargo, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Mad Men, The Great, Game of Thrones, and now all nine episodes of the smash hit Marvel series on Disney Plus, WandaVision. He is also the creative director of the Geffen Playhouse, the storied live theater venue here in Los Angeles, led by Gil Cates Jr. Welcome, Matt Shackman. Matt, it's great to have you.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Matt, what a sensational career you have. Wanda Vision is an amazing, amazing hit, right? How do you approach something like that? Do you know exactly what you want to get to? Or is it growing while you go? How how do you go about that?
2: You know, it's a little bit of both. Uh, There was definitely a really strong thematic through line to WandaVision that was something that we had all landed on very early. So before really any scripts were written, before we had started pre-production, we knew that this was going to be a story about how you overcome loss and how you come to terms with grief. And we didn't expect that it would be released in the middle of a worldwide pandemic where, you know, humans are are always dealing with loss, but we were dealing with it on such a massive scale. So the fact that it had that extra resonance um, was unexpected. But it was, it was always going to be about this character, Wanda Maximoff, who in the comic books and in the films has just... Lost so much. She's lost her brother. She's lost her parents. She's lost the love of her life, and she's trying to figure out how to put her life back together, if she can put her life back together. And that was the jumping-off point, and it allowed us to play around stylistically and and take big risks and do crazy things, because at the heart of it, it was this story of meditation on loss and a and a love story. A love story. Grief and love are hand in hand. Um, so that was what held it all together, and that's really what the the spark of it was.
0: I want to get to uh, Wanda and Vision and their relationship, but this series written by Jack Schaefer starts in, in sitcom format in black and white. And as I understand it, you actually shot this in front of live audiences using the, the some of the old lighting. And What was it? Uh, what was your goal there in order to start this grounded in such authenticity?
2: The world is revealed to have been created by Wanda. We don't really see the origin of it until... Uh, the penultimate episode, but we see that she has created a world based on the sitcoms she grew up watching with her family when she was young. And we see this moment of trauma when she loses her family while they're watching the Dick Van Dyke show together. And so in, in order to deal with this incredible pain of loss, she turns Westview, New Jersey into a kind of therapy for her. She turns it into the sitcoms that she grew up loving where the problems were really very small and manageable, little shenanigans, you know, the boss coming over for dinner, will it go well? You know, will she impress the queen bee in town and be welcomed by her neighbors? Those were the kinds of problems that Wanda was hungering for. She didn't want to deal with Thanos and world-ending problems and loss. She wanted to escape to this reality. So she creates realities. That's her power. You know, she can control reality. And so we wanted to make sure that the WandaVision show that she was creating was perfect because that's her power. It had to be super detail-oriented. It was never meant to be parody. That was one of our biggest things was that we didn't want people to think we were spoofing these shows. We were creating her show based off of the DNA that she had you know, well, you know taken in, osmosed, watching all these shows as a kiddo. And so to that end, we invested completely in researching looking at old prints, talking to people who had worked on these shows, reading books about them. Uh, It was fun, you know, for people who love television like myself and the rest of my team, we had a great time. That was the best kind of homework, but it's amazing because I think a lot of the shows that we, that we grew up watching, we saw them maybe not in their intended format. You know, they've been transferred so many times they were in syndication. So to go back and and yeah, look at an original print of Bewitched and say, this is beautiful, you know, and, and what are the intentions of the filmmakers who made this? And, um, and to honor that because you know there's there was so much exceptional work being done. So on a production design level, cinematography, costume design, visual effects, um, we tried our best special effects to really be to be doing everything period uh, appropriate and correct. Um, and then also there are moments, you know, because the show isn't just sitcom. It's, a, it's a holding a fragile reality and there's this kind of lake of trauma underneath it that percolates up and your sitcom reality is interrupted by a kind of turn into the Twilight Zone every now and then. And so we wanted to also invest in like what was the, the, the spin on this style that would also be period appropriate. So we looked at a lot of Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and all that kind of stuff to, to be inspired by it.
0: Here's what uh, David Bettencourt said in his Washington Post review. WandaVision puts to rest any thoughts that Marvel Studios' machine lost steam during a pandemic. We are getting something else here, a true power couple. Love was always put to the side to save the day on film, whereas here in WandaVision, these two super-powered beings' love is at the center of the plot. The honeymoon is far from over for Wanda and Vision and for the Marvel Studios. Elizabeth Olsen plays Wanda, Paul Bettany plays Vision this is a love story, kind of a new wrinkle for Marvel?
2: I mean, love has definitely played a a part in a lot of their stories, but I think we are putting it front and center because you you can't have grief and loss if you don't have love. Um, And they go hand in hand, and that's what this story was about, which is about a relationship that in the Marvel Universe didn't have a lot of screen time up to, you know, before WandaVision. I think they probably had about 10 minutes together, Vision and Wanda, in the Avengers movies. But in that short amount of time, because of the amazing performances and because of these great characters, the charisma that they have as performers and the chemistry they have together, I think we really were rooting for them. The audience loved, believed in their love story and they were incredibly sad when Vision had to die at her hand to try to prevent you know, Thanos from getting um, his Infinity Stone. And so that's, a, you know, with very little screen time, they really managed to have a huge impact. And so what we wanted to do is build on that, go deeper on that um, and and explore, yeah, a, a real love story um, and and to figure out how do you how do you come back from that? How do you can you come back from that? How do you how do you move on? And so we structured the thing off of uh, Elizabeth Gubler-Ross's Stages of Grief. You know, so in the beginning, it's it's denial. She doesn't know that how she got into this 50s sitcom world Um, she's asked questions by the boss about where they came from and when they got married and they can't answer them and then it moves into you know anger and bargaining and depression she's wearing a bathrobe in our modern family episode and hanging out and doesn't want to leave the house and then finally acceptance right which is the end of that which is coming to terms with the loss as much as you can and then figuring out how to put your life back together and move forward
0: you mentioned this is about grief wanda has lost everything i was moved When she says about grief, it's just this wave washing over me again and again. It knocks me down. And when I try to stand up, it comes for me again. It's going to drown me. And then Vision says, no, Wanda, it can't be all sorrow, can it? I've always been alone, so I don't feel the lack. It's all I've known. I've never experienced loss because I've never had a loved one to lose. But what is grief if not love persevering? that's as good a script writing as anything in almost any movie this year that I've seen. Tell me about that journey and getting everybody into that, into that place.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something we knew from the beginning that this, this is what the reason for the show was. It was the reason to do the show. It was ultimately what it was all about. So then you hang everything off of that, you know, and that moment there is a great moment of of wonderful collaboration. Uh, that scene evolved and evolved, and we we rehearsed it. We talked about it. Paul Bettany said, "I feel like that. I feel like we're missing a we're missing something here." And Jack wrote a line that was similar to that: "Love persevering." But it was, "What is grief if not love continuing?" And then Laura Monti, who was our wonderful writers uh, assistant, was like, "What about love persevering?" And like added that in, and it you know it became that you know it's like takes a village to make something, right? But I think what's important is that all of us knew the story that we were telling the entire time. And that's maybe what I think I was being the biggest job of a director is to make sure that everybody in this incredibly large enterprise is telling the same story. And then they can all be incredibly creative and collaborative about making that story the best it possibly can be. And that was definitely the case with WandaVision. I think everybody was really just moving in the same direction from the beginning. And we started with rehearsal. We got together as a company and studied old sitcoms. And we talked about how comedy changed generation to generation and what the difference between a uh, something taped in front of a live studio audience like Dick Van Dyke or I Love Lucy would be compared to a single camera show like Bewitched or Brady Bunch. And, you know, we got it all in our bones. And, and then by the time we landed on set, we were really aligned about how we wanted to tackle each era and, and what we were looking for stylistically. And then it was just about playing with levels How you know, what's too far, what's too broad and reminding yourself, you know, what are the stakes and what's really going on under the surface.
0: There's a, there's a great moment where a townsperson is standing with her in the town square. And she says uh, to Wanda, your grief is poisoning us. So it's not only what she's going through, but the impact it's having on others. So
2: yeah, I mean, the ultimate villain of the show is grief in a way, you know, and Wanda in some ways is the ultimate villain of the show too, at least from the point of view of the people of Westview who have been um, without their permission drawn into her therapy. And uh, she doesn't quite realize the impact that it's happening uh, that's having on everybody in that town, that they are literally suffering her, her nightmares. They're suffering her grief. They're involved in her trauma on an unconscious level. And so it's part of her journey as a character to come to terms with what she's doing to them and that her, what she needs is not what they need. And she ultimately has to let everyone go. And when she lets them go, it means she has to let go of this family that she's created. You can't have both.
0: There's a great line in Life of Pi when Jan Martel says, We must give life meaningful shape. Angley was our guest, and we said, Do you, do you, is there something to that? And he said, Yes, because. Without story, life doesn't make sense. So, you take one division, you take any of your many projects, what gift do you hope you're giving people above and beyond the finished shot script? Certainly, you know, what we were talking
2: about, I, I think uh, the idea of uh, uh, an insight into humanity. I think also right now, we need stories that lean towards the light. You know, they don't, they, it doesn't mean you have to avoid darkness, but I, I just think we need hope. I think we need, to, to have an escape from fear. Um, it has been a, it's been a tough year. And I think about that in the programming that I, I do at the Gaff and as well as the work that I, that I do as a director is that I think right now we definitely need to feel like we're appealing to the better, better angels of our nature, you know, and we're finding stories that, mm-hmm. that inspire and unite, um, rather than divide.
0: What do you see as your, what's your mission in your role as a director?
2: You know, I, I am interested in telling stories that feel like life. I mean, that's one of the things that has been so wonderful about the streaming revolution over the last few years to be able to work on something like WandaVision, which is it's stylistically so experimental and so different, but it's telling a really powerful human story that I think is ultimately about connection and about how people come together. And I, you know, I worked on the show, The Great before that, that was wonderfully experimental in its combination of tones that it could be both a comedy and a drama and a horror film in a way all wrapped up together, which again, feels more like life. You know, these, um, I look for projects myself where I can be surprised where it doesn't feel like something I've seen before, but that at the same time it feels like my own life in a way that I can connect to it on, a, on an emotional level. Um, so I think that's important. That's what brings me to the movie theater. That's those are the movies that I loved growing up. They felt like they were touching some sort of a you know emotional core about what it is to be human. And from Frank Capra all the way up to the modern era, you know, finding those those stories that feel, feel Timely and timeless.
0: Our guest today is director and producer, Matt Shackman. We'll be right back.
2: The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Sineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Sineonic to provide the
0: solutions of tomorrow today. Our guest today is director and producer Matt Shackman. Matt, I mean, you have been in front
1: of the camera, you have been behind the camera. How do you see yourself as a director when you look through the lens? You know, I started directing theater, and one of my
2: earliest mentors, the most important mentor, is a director named Ed Zwick, who had made a lot of wonderful movies like Glory and The Last Samurai. And when I started working with him, I was shadowing and observing on a TV show he had called Once and Again, and I was figuring out how to stage for a camera. And he said, just think about it just like theater, except instead of one proscenium, you have a thousand prosceniums. And so you're able to change your perspective and you're able to stage to that audience for that moment. But you're able to pivot and able to tell a story in a different way than you do in the theater where you have one point of view. So the camera becomes a subjective device to help tell a story and be as big a partner in the storytelling as the actors.
1: So so what do you enjoy the most, being in front of the camera behind the camera? me? I,
2: I have retired from being in front of the camera. That was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I, I really loved yeah my time in front of the camera, and it gave me a wealth of experience uh, and a lot of empathy. Actors are yeah. magical, magical creatures who do amazing things in front of the camera that I can't do um, and don't wish to do anymore. But I love knowing uh, what their process is, and it helps me yeah. you know, work well with actors and build something together.
0: What does theater do to inform how you direct a series or a, an episode of a major show like WandaVision or... Game of Thrones, or it's always sunny in Philadelphia. What does your work in theater inform? What, where does it keep you centered?
2: The the difference in the process really is just time. I find you know when you're on a when you're on a set, your first rehearsal, your tech rehearsal, your opening night, your closing night, all happens in the space of a, a few hours or an afternoon. Uh, in the theater, you have a lot more time to settle into it and you have a longer rehearsal period and and certainly you're discovering it for a longer period of time. So time is a big part of it. So one of the things that in the theater uh, I value is that I'm able to have longer conversations with actors and build a world together. And then when I do get to TV and film, we have to have those conversations in a more truncated way. So as a director, I'm grateful for the time that I've had sort of thinking about how one approaches a scene so that I can do it in a more expedient fashion when I have to, and hopefully still have the same depth of communication with the performer so we can find something that we really love together. And, uh, you know, rehearsal in, in film and TV I find really important and I push for it because I'm a theater person. But ultimately, I think everybody wants to build something great. They want to collaborate, and uh, and that's essential to both processes, and it's slightly more technical when you're on the film and TV side. You've got to handle all that stuff, but it's all storytelling.
0: Well, as you encounter these new platforms and these amazing new production tools, what potential do they hold for you as a director?
2: Uh, from a storytelling standpoint, I'm excited about this idea of genre and tonal mashup, the idea that... You know, much like Shakespeare, he started writing comedies and then he went into dramas and history plays. But by the end of his life, he was writing The Tempest and Winter's Tale, which defy categorization. They call them romances, but they're they're everything. They've got comedy and drama and people killing each other. And, you know, they're they're like life. Right. And I feel like that's what's happening more and more. It's been in the theater for a long time. It's coming more to streaming and cable storytelling that, that feels more like life, that is more interesting and varied and surprising. That's wonderful. And then from a technical standpoint, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of green screen. I think it's hard on actors. I think it's ultimately hard on filmmakers, too. So I'm interested in the volume. I'm interested in where that goes. Um, you know, more and more projects are using it. It'll be interesting to see where it's applicable and where it's affordable. But, you know, the idea of what you see is what you get is what every filmmaker dreams of. And if you can make that an alien planet, just as much as it is, you know, shooting a street in New York, uh, then your creative process is, I think, so much more free.
0: Your episode of Game of Thrones is entitled Spoils of War, and our crack team tells us that it had the most stuntmen set on fire for a single scene and 20 for a single shot. So you go from Game of Thrones, which is an incredibly intensive, visual effects-driven experience, and you come to WandaVision. Is there a common vibe that you get when you're working on these kinds of projects where your imagination has got to provide so much of your internal thinking because so much of what's being created you're not seeing when you shoot?
2: Yes, I mean, they are very similar in certain ways. I mean, obviously, Period, Dick Van Dyke, sitcom isn't applicable necessarily to Game of Thrones, but all of the other stuff is, you know, the Marvel side of it is. I am a big fan of storyboarding and I'm a huge fan of previs. I love storyboarding is a great way for me as a director to figure out how I want something to feel, look, shots, staging, all of that is incredibly useful, but, that, but it's gestural, you know, there's a lot that you can leave up to interpretation about a storyboard, but once you put that into previs, which is often based off of location scans or set designs, you know, what you see is what you get. And then you're able to to dial it in even more, you're able to pick lenses, you're able to combine shots and figure out where the story gaps are. My wife works in animation and you know, that's very much the animation way too, which is just they keep seeing the entire movie and that's why Pixar movies and Disney animated movies are so good, you know, you're you're able to see where the story problems are ahead of time, which is not often the case when you're doing live action. And then once you have a previs that you've really worked hard on and feels like it reflects what you want the scene to be, you can sit around the table with a bunch of brilliant department heads and peel the onion and say, how are we going to do that shot? How are we going to do that shot? How can we do that safely? But also, how are we going to do it in the time that we have? How are we going to do it with the resources that we have? And then other ideas come up. And then, of course, when you get to the location and you're working with actors and you're seeing it actually come to life, you'll make changes because you want it to be the best it can be. And you, I think a director's biggest problem is to not see what's happening right in front of them and to embrace the good ideas that you're seeing. And then you're going to have multiple cameras. So your previs is only one one angle, right? So you're going to build it. And then in editing, you'll build it differently, too. So it's a constantly evolving collaborative process, but it allows you to continually see what you're going for at every step, which I think ultimately makes it really uh, so much better than if you were to just go fly by the seat of your pants and figure it out.
1: Would you say that that pandemic has pushed technology or allowed you guys to use technology in a different way and and think you say, well, that's something we're going to be able to take on next time, and it's going to make us faster, better, uh, more productive uh, in the way of shooting or in the way of producing.
2: It might be. I think there certainly is some value to it. People being in control of their own schedules a little bit more. You know, I certainly am sure the studio would feel it was easier for them to pop into a CineSync and and look at a cut rather than having to drive to one edit bay or you know walk to another one. And so maybe they were able to be more efficient in getting things done. Uh, look, there, there is something that you miss not being in the same room with people, the energy, the excitement, um, the small talk. Small talk tends to go away a little bit because, you know, we have appointment times and you're in and you're out. So some some things are lost. I think in the future, there'll be a, a wonderful blend available. And certainly the idea that you don't need to be in the same room to get a lot of stuff done will will be liberating because artists in the film industry are all over the world. And I have to say, you know, just on the VFX side, having vendors all over the world is so hugely helpful when you're trying to get something done on a really tight clock. I mean, ILM was running, you know, an office until the next one opened, and then the next one opened, and they'd be going, you know, 24 hours a day uh, trying to finish stuff for us. So we live in a global world, and there are great benefits to that. And Thank thank goodness this technology is there to support it.
0: We have We've talked on this program about the movie business and the fact that for- Over a year, it's been hiatus. You're making, in WandaVision, really a six-hour movie. It feels, quality-wise, the actors, the level of production value. What do you think? What do you make of where the movie business is coming back after a year in hiatus? It's a great question.
2: You know, I think people are finding content... Uh, wherever they want to find it. It's available to them if they want to go to the movie theaters when they reopen and have that experience again. They'll be able to have it in their living room. I mean, it is a question, though. I'm sure it it weighs, you know, you look at uh, amazing filmmakers like David Fincher getting the the resources that he needs to do something like Mank, but then you put it out on Netflix and you wonder, are as many people finding it there? Is it getting the attention there that it would have if it had come out in a more traditional way?
0: When Do you have a sense of when everybody will be back with seats in movie theaters around the world? Do you have a sense of that? I think, Jim, you know, the, the sooner the better would
1: be the way I would say this. I don't think there's any... We have to be careful of putting a putting a date on this kind of thing. I think it has to go as play. We have to feel safe, I believe. That's the most important thing because you don't want to go back and then go back in lockdowns and something. So we have to go forward and, and we have to be a little bit more patient probably than we would like to be but i think this year will be the year that, that everybody's going to go back right this year will also be the year that sinasu will be fully open so there's no doubt about that so we have to give us a little bit of time right when you see things happening like like in india and other things we have to think about how do we take care of each other and 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 of course then business comes second right but i think we need to get we need to get through that we need to make sure that we bring the whole world with us on this and and i think all, all businesses will will fall into that. And, and I think entertainment, you, you cannot go to an entertainment event when you don't feel good, right? When you don't feel safe kind of thing. So, so that's, that's the, the mental being has to be there. Definitely. Right. When you look at, at the, the Marvel universe, you know, it is adored by by the whole world. And I think many of the films are mainstay for the box office year on year. But how do you see the interplay between the cinematic experience, you know, which is playing in the world and the streaming of television? What's your view on that? I think it was wonderful that WandaVision was the first thing that Marvel brought to television
2: uh, Marvel Studios. I should say there have been other Marvel TV projects, but Marvel Studios, the producer of these and wonderful big blockbusters that uh, we think of as being things you have to see in the movie theater. The idea that WandaVision, which is this love letter to television, it's a love letter to classic television. We we come we come out weekly, you know, just like television used to. We were intentionally using the television form as part of our storytelling, cliffhangers, commercial breaks with fake commercials, you know. So it really was a love letter um, from the maker of big blockbusters, and uh, you know, Kevin Feige who runs Marvel is a huge fan of television. As am I, of course. I grew up both on television sets and watching t- a television set at home, um, so it was a big part of my life too. But, you know, the experience hopefully is the same. You know, the the thing that I think is special about Marvel, it's not just the spectacle, but it's the characters, it's the storytelling, it's the the emotionality. It worked in the comic books for years and it works on screen. People connect with these stories. These are stories about amazing people, but they're really stories about all of us and about how we can be more amazing in ourselves, um, what brings us together. So uh, I think hopefully the experience is the same when people watch it in the living room versus watching it in a movie theater.
0: You are the revered creative director at the Geffen Playhouse in Westwood here in Los Angeles. Uh, The creative visionary for the Geffen was Gil Cates. He asked me to serve on the board for about five years uh, of fundraising and renovation. And it was a personal joy to be involved with it. And now you are working, uh, since uh, Gil's passing, you're working there as creative director with Gil Cates Jr. You still are active in theater, why?
2: I love theater. You know, I love the communal experience. I love working with a a group to put something on, which is the same reason why I love TV and film. I love storytelling. um, And I love developing new work, which is one of the things we do a lot of at the Geffen, seeing a new play from an idea springing from a writer's head all the way through to its first production. And, you know, it's just, it's a great, wonderful theater. I, I started working there as a as a guest director years ago and there's uh, a wonderful sense of community there the people are incredibly warm and so i i wanted to continue that and
0: and you're bringing macbeth
2: uh we will have a production of the scottish play yeah i am uh one of those suspicious uh you know uh, superstitious folks who doesn't say the word i did a production of it in college and uh was, was, you know, using the, the M word left and right, you know, that's so silly, you know, and then people ended up in the hospital and injured and all sorts of stuff. So now I take it very seriously, but yes, I was going to do a production of the Scottish play. Uh, the pandemic interrupted. I will not be involved with it when it comes to the Geffen in the spring. We are, are excited though, the, what, what has happened to that production, is uh, so much more excited without me. I, I cannot wait to make a public announcement about what that's going to be right. in the next right. couple of weeks, actually.
0: Matthew, we see that Elizabeth Olsen has uh, announced yesterday she's going to be involved in a project for HBO. What is your next effort? What are you working on now?
2: Nothing Nothing official at the moment, just you know, working on developing a few things. And, and of course, my, my work at the Geffen takes up a lot of time as we return and start plan for our return to live performances.
0: So it returns this fall? Yeah. And
2: we pivoted a, over a year ago to virtual productions at the Geffen to survive. And our first was an amazing magic show directed Fantastic. by Frank, Frank Marshall and starring Helder Gomez. And, you know, it was this idea of sending a, a box of a mysterious box of items to your to your home so that you could have magic happen. It in was your
0: brilliant. Right. And,
2: uh, and that sort of started off a, a, a wonderful run of shows. We've done quite a few now. We, we just opened a, a, a true story, about a, a ghost story uh, that happened to this wonderful theater artist, Jared Mazaki and his family in Enfield, New Hampshire which is a, a harrowing uh, hour and 10 minutes on Zoom. Really, really fun. But we've, we've leaned, leaned into stories that are authentic, you know, that are people's personal experience and, um, and also interactive involving objects and things mailed ahead of time. And we felt uh, that that helped conquer the weirdness of this Zoom proscenium. You, you can't quite give yourself over it to, to it the way you would in a, in a darkened theater. So we've got we've got one more show coming, which is our first uh, for young for young kiddos We're between the ages of like five and nine. We're doing a theater for young audiences piece over Zoom called uh, The Door You Never Saw Before, a choosical musical, which would be great and acknowledges the weird Zoom life of our of our kiddos these days and what it's like to be on Zoom school and hopefully takes them to a, a really fun and unexpected place with songs. Um, and so we're, those will be the last of our virtual offerings, I think, for the moment. And then we'll be pivoting into, into new stuff in the fall. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be really exciting.
0: Well, you have you have richly deserved the summer a summer break. <laughs> Isn't it nice that WandaVision has finished, and at least for a, a moment, you don't have to wake up in the morning and, and worry about today's chores. Uh, we couldn't thank you enough. We are in such great admiration for all of the aspects of your life that enrich the people who come to your theaters and and watch your programs on television so continued great luck please come back and thank you matt shackman very much thank you for having me thank you very much thank you wim thank you guys thank you our quote of the day comes from disney chairman bob Iger, who said recently even in the face of difficult choices and less than ideal outcomes an optimistic leader does not yield to pessimism simply put people are not motivated by pessimists. Thanks for joining us. The Insiders is presented by Cenionic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Pilzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.